Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, the triumph of God. This week, uh, I watched, finally, the movie Dunkirk. Uh, if you remember, it came out, I don't know, months ago, and I, we just got around to, to watching it. The evacuation of Dunkirk, though, I, I did a little uh, research on that this week. And, you know, the movie was fairly accurate to, to, to what I, I read. What's interesting, though, is, is how that evacuation first came about and what it could have exemplified to the British people. Uh, it, it followed a number of battles that nearly led to Britain, Britain's surrender to Germany. It happened in 1940. Uh, the war had, uh, World War II had been going on since uh, 1939. It wasn't considered a world war yet. As a matter of fact, what I read called 1939 to sometime in early 1940, the phony war. And I guess the real war started uh, about this time. But pretty much all of the British army was on the, in this area of France. Uh, France, Belgium... Uh, the Netherlands and maybe one other country had tried to stop Germany's advance uh, toward the west and they had failed and what had ended up happening was Germany had surrounded over 400,000 soldiers on this one area of beach called Dunkirk across the English Channel from Britain and it Churchill was telling them y'all it's it this is this could be the end. They were talking in Parliament about hopefully conditional, but maybe unconditional surrender to Germany when all this happened. But they still needed to get their boys home. Even if they surrendered, they still needed to get those soldiers home. And, and in the movie, and I don't know how accurate this is, in the movie, they were hoping to get 35 to 40,000 troops home. Uh, enough to start over with, maybe. But they enlisted civilians they, the the uh, the the piers that they had would land the boats would uh, dock at and people could get on most of them had been destroyed there were these moles they're called they're breakwaters that go out and kind of uh, stop the current for the for the shore make it a little smoother there in the harbor they couldn't get a lot of big ships in so over 800 small privately owned vessels crossed the English Channel from Britain and uh, ferried some all the way back to England, some from the beach to ships that were in deeper water, ferried over 300,000 troops back to England from, from the mainland of, uh, of France there at Dunkirk. An incredible triumph I'm going to say a triumph with caveats after an incredible defeat. The, the caveats were one of the things that uh, um, Churchill said afterwards is, let's not talk about this as a victory because there is no victory in evacuation. But the victory here was they had saved all of these lives. The, the victory here, the triumph was the, the people of Britain, the, the mariners, the, the uh, gentlemen mariners, uh, of Britain had done such an incredible feat, something like 200 of those private ships were sunk in this evacuation. It wasn't like all 800 got home. 
Uh, but that many people were saved. A great triumph after a terrible defeat and what looked like could have been a huge tragedy. In our passage today, we, we, as we get to it, we see that God has given a great triumph with no caveats after a seemingly horrible defeat. Remember what we talked about last week. We talked about Satan entering the church. The first time we have in the New Testament uh, a, rec a record of Satan coming into the church and, and attempting to wreak havoc. And, and the next passage, the next paragraph is Luke telling us, not today, Satan. Uh-uh, not going to happen. Follow with me. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. The Bible in the pew rack in front of you, if you uh, don't have a copy of your own, will uh, show exactly what's on the screen. 5, 12 through 16. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers are added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. In Acts, this is now Luke's third summary paragraph. He, he's done this, that seems like pretty often for only four chapters so far, where he has summarized and multitudes were added and the work was being done and signs and wonders. He did it after the sermon at Pentecost. He uh, did it after the prayer for boldness. And here he does it very quickly, actually, uh, after the second summary back in chapter 4. Seems really quick, but I don't think it was, well, okay, I know for certain it was no accident that God told Luke to put this summary, this triumphant summary here, immediately following the heel on the heels of potential disaster. Because the, the, the whole issue with Ananias and Sapphira could absolutely have been a disaster for the church. We could examine all the different ways, and we won't go into it this morning. But just imagine uh, during the week you hear of someone in the church who did something for the church, and, and in the midst of it uh, you hear also, but they were struck dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit. I mean, imagine that that had happened last Tuesday. What would the mood be like in here today? Would you have even come today if that had happened on Tuesday? So, so put yourself in that position. It could have destroyed the church to lose Ananias and Sapphira in, in such a way. Even if that wasn't an issue, even if it didn't scare people off from the church or, or cause them to, to leave, certainly it's an extremely difficult time for the church because you've got to know Ananias and Sapphira had friends. Maybe they had family in the church. And here they are gone in an instant because they lied to the Holy Spirit, because they were causing trouble as Satan had filled their hearts, Luke tells us. So this is a bad time for the church in Jerusalem. And really this passage, you know, the, the, the title of this 
series is uh, the church in the community. That's what we've been looking at since uh, the beginning of chapter 3 of Acts, the church in the community. This passage really is less the church in the community and more the apostles in the community. This little summary here is about the apostles' work, the apostles' work, and what they were doing. But what it shows us is that through the leadership, and not just the leadership, as we will see here in a moment, shows us that God continues to triumph through his church, even after setbacks. Uh, I wish I had caused the, uh, the water shortage in Lakey uh, for the, the youth so I could have such an excellent, excellent object lesson for this message and say, yeah, uh-huh, that, that, I didn't do that, God did. God knew this passage was this week, and, and yet he also knew or maybe not and yet, but he also knew that this water issue was going to happen. And, and on Tuesday night, it was looking like God, uh, rather Satan was going to triumph. You know Satan was excited about that water shortage in, in Lakey and in that county over in Texas. You know he was excited that those kids might get sent home Tuesday night and miss Wednesday and Thursday night. But God triumphed even after what appeared to be a devastating setback. I, I wish I had scripted that week this way, but instead, the one who scripts all things scripted it, and we get to see that God continues to triumph through his church, even after setbacks. So we see it in verse 12, as we work into this passage. Luke tells us, Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. God continues to work in and through his church. Immediately on the heels, right after Luke tells us that everybody was scared, then great fear came on the whole church and on all who heard these things. You see the church split that could happen? You see the ineffectiveness of the church in the community that could occur because of this judgment that happened on Ananias and Sapphira? You see how negative the press could have been? For this situation, great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. And they may not have had Twitter and Facebook and, and, and phone gossip, but word got around that in that new Jewish sect over there in Jerusalem where all these people, you remember when they looked drunk a few days ago and, and, and where they were saying all this stuff and say, oh, we heard them in our language and whatever else they were saying. Uh, you remember those people? They just killed two of them for not giving the right amount of money to the church. That's what the paper said. That's what folks were tweeting. Church murders members for not giving enough. That was the headline, very likely. Thousands dead by the time it got to some of the sites. It was a hard time. Satan, he giggled at this. He knew Ah, this little church Jesus wanted to start, I got him. In fact, no, he didn't. God continued to work in and through his church. See, the attacks of Satan do not have to negatively affect the mission of the church. Notice how I phrased that. It was on purpose. The attacks of Satan do not have to negatively affect the mission of the church. Satan's attacks are coming. That's a given. I don't remember. There's some math class right? I'm good at math. I think it's geometry that you have givens. Is that correct? And, and you're trying to figure out stuff and you have these givens. Now figure out the answer. 
Is there anybody that knows what I'm talking about that can nod and tell me, thank you students that have taken math recently. Um, there are givens. Well, this is a given that Satan is going to attack the church. When our kids are at camp, Satan's going to attack them. When, when the, the, the church is on mission, Satan is going to attack them. It is going to happen, but those attacks do not have to negatively affect the mission of the church. Internal strife and troubles, and I'm changing the verb here from do not have to, to cannot be allowed to disrupt ministry, as the Bible says in verse 12, among the people. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people. We cannot let bickering, we cannot let Satan's attacks, we cannot let issues in here affect our mission out there. there, The press is going to say what the press is going to say. Just let them say it. That cannot change our mission. That cannot change what we are supposed to be doing after this Horrible attack by Satan on the church. Many signs and wonders were being done. And it says they were all together in Solomon's Solomon's colonnade. The question we have here, a little interpretive uh, exercise for us, is who's the all? Does that mean that all the church members were in Solomon's colonnade? They, they met as a, a, an activity. They had, hey, we're, said, hey, we're going to go do a, a, an outreach to Solomon's colonnade. Um, Probably not, because as we move through verse 13, and we're going to talk about it when we get there, very likely this, all of them were together, or they were all together, was the apostles. All of the apostles were in Solomon's colonnade. Now, what what do we know about Solomon's colonnade? How has Solomon's colonnade, that's hard to say a bunch of times, by the way. It gets a little mumbled. Solomon, how has that figured into the recent history of the church? This is audience participation time. What happened in Solomon's Colonnade three sermons ago? Do you remember? It was after the lame man was healed and two people were preaching somewhere. Was it Solomon's Colonnade they were preaching? And what happened to them? Clink. They were marched off. They did the perp walk. Hands against the wall. They got arrested in Solomon's Colonnade. And where did they go? After being told not to preach in his name, after praying for boldness, after Satan showed up in the church and tried to destroy what was being done, where did the apostles go? Back to the scene of the crime. They always do, right? The crooks always go back to the scene of the crime. Well, these crooks, for Jesus, went back to the scene of the crime, went right back to Solomon's colonnade, and they preached again. They were all there, all the apostles back to where they had first been arrested. Because, let's remember two sermons ago, they went to their own, and in verse 29 of chapter 4, Lord, consider their threats, and grant this that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. Well, how bold is it to go right back to the place you were arrested for speaking the name that you were just told not to speak anymore. But they had a message, and they could not go without sharing it. But verse 13 tells us that not everybody felt the, the same way that the apostles did. No one else dared to join them, it says. But what does that mean? Who didn't join them? Why didn't 
they join them. We've got a few possibilities here, and I'm going to land on what I believe to be the, the intent of Luke's uh, message here on the last one. First, maybe he's talking about the less committed in the church because of Ananias and Sapphira. Well, that'll thin out some folks that uh, aren't just completely sold out to what's going on. Wait a minute, they just didn't give the right amount of money? Some, what are the, what, we're talking about money and they died. I, all right, folks, y'all deuces, I'm out of here. Yeah, that's, they're, they're done with that. And that's, that's possible, but I'm thinking in the midst of this persecution, right after the prayer for boldness, folks weren't joining the church because it got them any social standing or looked good to, to the folks around them. The, the less committed, there wasn't the gradation, I don't think, of, of committed to less committed church members at this time. So, so maybe, but I'm going to say probably not. Uh, maybe what he means here Luke means is that some of the church members showed up with the apostles, but some didn't. Uh, so when it says that they were all together in verse 12 in Solomon's colonnade, that all together refers to members and apostles. I, I don't think so because of where I'm going to go with verse 13. That I believe all together was the, the apostles. So this wasn't some of the church members, but some of the, those didn't, some of the church members dared not to join them. It, the, the third option here is that it's talking about unbelievers. They, they had messed up their witness, right? The unbelievers wouldn't come to the church because of what had happened to Ananias and Sapphira or because of, of what the, the Sanhedrin had said about preaching in the name of Jesus. Maybe that's what it was, but that, that doesn't square with, ex, come, with what comes right after this passage. So what it appears to be, what this seems to mean, is that the apostles were bold and, and willing and not concerned about going into Solomon's colonnade again, back to the place of their arrest, but church members were afraid. The church was worried. And it could have been partially what had happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, have mercy. If we, what if we go out there and we say the wrong thing? We preach the, the gospel a little differently. We don't share it there exactly the right way. Are we going to get struck down too? Some of that could have happened, but, but probably we're seeing the beginnings of, of a lack of faith in God's ability to sustain the church in the face of persecution. That seems to be what we are getting at here. The church members were afraid of, the, of arrest. The apostles were bold and willing. God had answered the prayer for boldness. God had shaken the foundations of the room they were in. They had done all these things, and they went out, and more people were added to the church. But then this horrible thing with Ananias and Sapphira happened, and the folks, uh, their faith started to waver. And they told Peter and John and the rest of them, y'all can go to the colonnade, but folks, we, we, I got family. I got a job. I got, you know, whatever their excuse was. So I, I think what we see here in this short little verse is a contrast of faith and lack of faith. The apostles are willing to suffer, and the church members at this point, after all they had seen, y'all, think about that. After everything they had seen, all the way back to Pentecost, before, a lot of these people knew about Jesus before all this happened, 
They had seen the crucifixion. They had probably heard some of them, his, his teaching. They knew about what was going on. They felt the conviction when Peter and John, or particularly Peter, uh, preached to them at Pentecost and later on in Solomon's colonnade. They got all that, and even now, they struggle in their faith. It's, in one way, I, I think it's an encouragement to us that when we struggle in our faith, we're in a long line of folks that have done that right down to the first few months uh, months of first church even existing. But I think it's also, it, it's not intended necessarily to be comfort, but a, there's a word I'm looking for, and it just left me, a, con- a conviction, there we go, conviction of, is that who you want to be? Do you want to be the one that says, oh, it's great for the apostles to go out there, but I can't risk it. It's not what the New Testament presents to us. It's not the calling of the church to be worried about our future. We put it in the hands of God and we are obedient. And then the apostles are vindicated. Now look what happens. No one else dared join them. But the people spoke well of them. They were, they were amazed. Now, now, now think of it this way. On, on the one side, you've got the apostles and we'll say here, here's Solomon's colonnade. You've got the apostles in Solomon's colonnade. And over here, you've got the church members going, man, I ain't going out there. I don't know. They are crazy. They're going to be arrested. They, you know, Sanhedrin has said, don't do that. Ananias and Sapphira are dead. I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm taking a break for a little while. But over here on the other side, you've got, the, the folks of Jerusalem, you, you've got all the ones that are watching this, and, and some of them, I'm sure, knew, wait, Sanhedrin said, y'all can't preach in his name, and, and Ananias and Sapphira are dead. I, I didn't go to their church, but I knew about them. I mean, we, we were there. I've, I, I've been around them for a long time, and look at these guys still willing to stand up and preach this message. Man, that, that's powerful. Unbelievers, the people, looked at the apostles and said, that's amazing. Which side do we want to be on, church? The side that, that it says, I have the faith to preach in boldness, to share faithfully, to, to go where I might be persecuted and, and arrested or killed. I don't want to stand in the sidelines. I want people to be amazed at the God that I worship and the, at the Jesus that saves me. So the apostles were vindicated as the people spoke well of them. And then they were further vindicated in verse 14. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. So those people who spoke well of them were converted because of the boldness of the apostles, because of the boldness of the few that said, I'm not worried about what man says, I'm only worried about what God says, and God has told me to preach in the name of Jesus, to share with my friends, to share with my family, to share with people I don't know. That's what he has told me to do. So those that were standing in the sideline, on the sidelines, watching, hoping not to get hit by any shrapnel that might come from this battlefield, they missed out on what God was doing among the church. Believers were added to, added to them multitudes of both men and women, and let's not forget when this happened. 
after Satan came in, multitudes of believers were added to the church. After Satan filled the heart of Ananias and Sapphira, multitudes of believers were added to the church. After members were too scared or too concerned about their own lives to join the apostles, after they said, nope, God, that's a bridge too far, after that, multitudes of believers were added to the church. God still worked in the church, even though at this moment the number of faithful was small. The number that was willing to step out in faith was small. God still worked in that church. And, and, and yes, we are, let's remember, we're focusing on one passage this morning. We, we, we do want to step back and see this passage in the context of all that the church did. Incredible stuff. The, 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 the first church was amazing in their faith in their willingness to give and to go and to share. And we have all the wonderful things. And we've been talking about that for weeks now. All that went on in this community, this first church. But even the best of churches have problems. And we see right here that when the church was in the midst of its first great problem, God worked. God triumphed. Extreme judgment had come to the church. A, we won't call it a, following away, a falling away, but we will call it a, 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 a fleshly hesitancy had come to the church. And God still worked. We must say, not today, Satan. And this is why. When Satan shows up, we have to say, not today, Satan. I have a mission. I have a goal. I have a purpose. So whatever you are doing to try to stop that, whether it's bickering or fighting or uh, lying to the Holy Spirit or a, a low water table in central Texas, whatever it is you're doing to try to stop what God is doing, not today, Satan. We are going to succeed at this. because not, not because success looks like thousands of people coming to Christ. That is a wonderful success. Don't get me wrong. But not because it looks like that. But success is faithfulness of God's people to do what God said. That is success. Yesterday, we went to Peppermill Apartment Complex with our uh, associational missionary. And let me tell you the numbers of people that came to jump on those bounce houses. Y'all ready for this number? Zero. Communication problem. Uh, mainly the communication was the person who was in charge of it at the apartment complex, we found out hasn't worked at that apartment complex for about a couple of weeks now. So to our knowledge, there was no promotion. Nobody knew a thing about it. So we got out there, we set up, nobody came, we broke it down. Abject failure, right? Maybe, if you're counting numbers, if you're looking at noses and saying, well, you didn't reach anybody, but you know what? Seven, eight of our church members were out there in that heat and humidity, faithfully willing to serve anybody that would come. That's success to me. That is a willingness. Didn't work out the way we wanted, but you know what? We got another chance tonight. 
Tonight, we're doing a block party. Our first at Fellowship tonight is a block party for our community. We sent out over 600 mailers to all the homes over here. In particular route of the postal service. Brian Craddock can tell you every house, but I can't. Um, he's the postmaster. Uh, right over here, are we going to have 600 homes represented here tonight? Oh, gosh, I hope so. But if we don't, it's a success. So we are faithful to do what God has told us to do. And God has told us to reach our community. God has told us to reach our world. So when it doesn't work out the way we want to yesterday, or the water table's low, or whatever else happens in our church, we must say, not today, Satan. We will be, our, we will be faithful, and we will see our own Dunkirk. We will see a triumphant rescue after defeat. After defeat, after defeat, we will see rescue. Because we're going to call defeat things that God doesn't call defeat. God calls testing. God calls pruning. God calls uh, edification. God calls uh, reproach. God calls discipline. God calls them a lot of things, and we say, oh, we lost, we failed, we didn't succeed. And God says, no, did you do what I told you to? Yes, sir. Then you succeeded. You only succeed when you fail to be on mission. And then we see the results of those multitudes coming to, to Christ, uh, at being added to the Lord in, in increasing numbers. Verses 15 and 16 Verse 15 says they carried, the, the, as a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Now, that, that's really interesting. There, there are places where Peter sent uh, napkins, and, and, and we have record of him healing people, uh, him, him doing that sort of thing. I ain't talking about the TV preacher who wants to send you one. I'm talking about an apostle of Jesus Christ, not some guy who likes money. Uh, he, that worked. In this case, though, we don't have evidence. Luke didn't record whether or not his shadow healed. It doesn't say they were healed that way, but just that they hoped to be. Maybe it was a, a superstition. At this time, your shadow was actually seen as an extension of yourself. They, they had philosophers that sat around and talked about your shadow. I know y'all are thinking that's an exciting conversation to have. I, I, I get that, but we're not going to go into that today. But understand that they thought that that shadow, and I, I got a couple of them up here, but this is, uh, that, was, that was part of me. So if that fell on somebody, they'd be healed. All right, maybe, maybe not. But I don't think the point here is, that whether, is whether Peter's shadow healed people. Let's not get bogged down. Let's look at the fact that the church, or, or the people, the multitudes, folks around there thought so highly of Peter and the church in Jerusalem that they just wanted to be in the shadow of Peter. Let me, let me put it to you this way. What if our church's reputation was such that people just wanted to be in our shadow? I, I just want to be around those people of First Baptist Church. I, I, I just want to hang out with them. I just, I just want to be near them. I, I, I just want to go to church with them because they obviously have something I want, something I need, something I can't express but they know about. What if that was our community's reaction 
to being around First Baptist Church. I just want to be in their shadow. Because even their shadow must have something. Because they clearly have something. 16. In addition, a multitude came, from, came together from the town surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Verses 15 and 16 tell us that after the multitudes came to Christ, were added to the church, they continued to pour in. They wanted to be a part of what was going on. They had heard, now they wanted to experience it. What had they heard? They had heard about two people dying. I'm sure they'd heard about that. They had heard that the church was told not to preach in that name anymore. And yet they stood in the very place where they were uh, originally arrested. That's what the people were hearing. That's not good press. That's not great things being said. Oh, no, oh, we're doing great over here at First Church Jerusalem. Oh, everything's smooth and fine. Oh, yes, oh, Peter's doing a great job. Sure, he's, he's a good preacher. Uh, oh, no, we get along all the time. I mean, we were even selling our stuff and giving it away. No, that, it, was, it was, yeah, we did some great things. Peter's preaching some incredible sermons. But y'all, Satan got into the church. That's bad press. Yet they came from the towns all around Jerusalem to hear this. God's discipline was not a deterrent to effectiveness. When God disciplines his church, that is not a deterrent to our effectiveness on mission. That is not a deterrent to our effectiveness for evangelism. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. God's work in purification of his church contributes to its effectiveness. We are more effective as God disciplines us. If you don't believe me, and you've had children, did you discipline them? And if you did, if you didn't, well, you were disobedient to God and his word. If you did, why did you do it? To shut them up so they quit annoying you? Well, some days, yeah. But primarily, you did it to make them better adults, to purify them to improve them, to prepare them for the future that you knew God had for them. That is the same thing God does to his churches. He purifies them, he disciplines them in order to increase their effectiveness, not decrease it. They could have said, wait a minute, Peter, it wasn't his fault, but he was the pastor, so it all stops with him, right? Wait a minute, Peter, you killed Ananias and Sapphira. God did it, but we've got to blame somebody. You killed Ananias and Sapphira for not giving enough to the church. They might have given more. You killed tithers, Peter. And God said, you know what? I'm purifying my church. And if you don't believe me, look at what happened after. Multitudes got saved. People wanted to live in the shadow of, that, of those people. And from towns all around Jerusalem, they came and they were healed. Church, God's discipline in his church enhanced the mission. It didn't hinder, hinder it. I think that's what we see here. I think that's at least one of the messages Luke had for us, or God had for us through Luke. His discipline in the church 
enhanced the mission. It didn't hinder it. It did not hurt them to lose Ananias and Sapphira. As a matter of fact, it improved the church, and they were more effective the next day than they were the day before. I think, secondly, we can see that divine discipline and earthly persecution cannot be reasons for laxity. We cannot step back and quit because things got hard or things weren't going as we had planned. Either one of those is an excuse, not a reason, to, be on, uh, to, uh, to, to cease to be on mission for the Lord. What we see, actually, is that faithfulness and difficulty is a witness to the lost world. They were more effective when Peter and John and the other apostles stood back up in Solomon's colonnade. They were more effective than they had been. Earlier it was thousands were being added. Now it's multitudes. I don't know what the difference is, but I think multitudes sounds bigger than thousands. Thousands is quantifiable. Multitudes is it's just a whole bunch of people were being added to that church because of the faithfulness in the, the face of persecution and purification because purity and resilience in the, in the church are attractive to the lost. When we stand for something, when we specifically stand for things, regardless of what happens, regardless of, of who comes against us, whether it's the government or whether it's Satan, when we stand and say, no, this is the truth and it will be declared in this place, people notice that. And it is attractive to those people. And at the end of the passage in verse 16, it says they came and they were healed. People will come and they will be healed in our church through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to guarantee physical healing or financial healing even psychological healing immediately. But I will guarantee complete, total, instant spiritual healing when people come to Christ. And that's what they were doing at this church. In the midst of everything, they were coming and they were being saved. I can promise you, no matter what you're going through, no matter the defeat, no matter whether you're standing on the beach in Dunkirk and you are surrounded by all of your enemies and the only option you see is evacuate or surrender and even evacuation may lead to surrender, when that's where you are, I guarantee you victory through Jesus Christ. I guarantee that when you are determined you are going to do something for Jesus, you're going to experience God this week at youth camp. And Satan shows up and says, y'all don't have water. Now what you going to do, huh? And your response is, I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm going to let him change me. I'm going to pray for God's will. And I'm going to wait and see. And I'm going to see the body of believers come together. And make this happen so that our kids come home different when, than when they left. That is the work of God. That is God triumphantly rescuing you. And I can guarantee that every time. It does not matter how close you are to giving up. It doesn't matter how inevitable surrender seems. Jesus is the victory. He can be the victory in your life this morning. He can be the one who heals your heart 
He can be the one you experience triumph in today. I don't know all of your issues. I don't know all of your, your, your problems right now. But if you are an unbeliever, if you're a lost person, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I can promise you that salvation is the first answer you need. I don't know what God will do for you after this. I'm not going to make any promises. But I will promise you this morning that he will save you. You will experience victory. But you need to understand a few things. You need to understand God first, that he is holy and just, and that he is going to punish sin. He will judge it. He will not allow it to stand. He is patient, but he will not be patient forever. And that punishment involves you and me as sinners. We cannot be in his presence. He will judge us. He will punish us because we are sinful, willfully sinful and fallen. So we are destined for that everlasting torment. God's holy. We're not. We're going to be punished for it. And he knew that. So he sent a savior. He sent his son, Jesus, the perfect son of God, lived a perfect life, never sinned, never had the stain of sin on him, did what we could not do. And then on the cross, he also did what we could not do, which was save us. He took our sin, and he took our punishment for sin, and he took that for everyone. That includes anyone who's listening to this, and all those who aren't. But he died for you. He died for every person in here. And you can experience that triumph this morning. Because he proved it three days later. It's one thing for him to say, I can take sin. I can take it on and beat it. But then he took on death. And death that he had died three days before. He didn't just faint. Wasn't in a coma. He's gone. And three days later he rose and said, I told you I could take sin. And to prove it, I took death too. So then we must respond and choose to follow Jesus. We have to repent of our sin, put our past behind us. We place our faith in him because we can't save ourselves. We can only be saved through him by faith. That's how we get saved. You don't get a punch card. You don't get a tattoo. Nothing, nothing clicks in your brain that you finally you hear it. And, oh, I'm saved. No, it is by faith that we are saved. Faith in Jesus Christ by believing in him, what he did for you, and then living for him. We can experience triumph today. You can experience triumph today. As an unbeliever, as a lost person seeking for purpose, you can experience triumph. The believer, you can experience triumph as well. Oftentimes, we feel like we're on that beach in Dunkirk too. It's not, it's not our salvation that's concerning us, but we feel like we are defeated. We tried not today, Satan, but he kept coming back every day and finally we just got tired of fighting it's not our fight it's not your fight it's God's fight and let me tell you something about what happens when God fights he wins every time so believer rest in the triumph today rest in the evacuation that I promise you is coming the salvation that is coming for you, you may not experience even tomorrow, experience it tomorrow. I'm not even tell you, you may not experience it in this life. But I'm telling you, you will experience triumph. God will save you. And you can have victory. You will have victory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for providing the victory.
through your son, Jesus Christ. Victory over sin, victory over oppression, victory over persecution, victory over Satan creeping into the church. God, you have provided victory. Lord, may we rest in that promise, rest in that victory. Thank you for your word that so clearly clearly speaks to us and tells us of the victory that we can have if we just need to be bold. We just need to be obedient to you. Not let the attack of Satan, not let the attack of persecution, not let our fears, not let any of that override us, but our faith in your word and your command. And God, for someone here today who does not get how we can have victory over all the the issues, over the persecution, over all these things, God, I pray that they would experience salvation through Jesus Christ. And then they'll know how they can have that victory. Lord, I pray this morning they will have that first victory over sin and then see how you can give them the victorious, triumphant life. Because that's the God you are, the God of victory, the God of triumph. Lord, thank you for working in this place. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. And may we see revival. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what's your decision this morning, believer? Are you on the beach? Are you waiting for that evacuation and it just does not seem like it will come? Maybe this morning you want to come and you want to give some things to the Lord and you need to cry out to him at the foot of the cross with cushions so it doesn't hurt your knees. And you need to give some things to him. Unbeliever, lost person, maybe you want to experience that ultimate spiritual triumph of asking Jesus into your heart. You can do that. You can come talk to me. You can talk to uh, Tom, who will be over on this side, on my right. I'll be in the corner on the left. But let's stand and let's sing. And as God works on your heart, let him respond to him this morning. He does business with you.